Morning. Morning. Hi, you guys. Hi. You both on? Am I being seen? No. no. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't want to be seen. Right now. <laughs> I really want to be seen. Here, <laughs> you look so good. Oh, so so Mike is gone right now. Um, I I still am bouncing around, wondering if we should go later versus going right after church. Okay. Gonna, but have you given any? Have have you made a decision on where? We're trying. Don't say out loud. Okay. We'll we'll call you. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be away from the house today. Um, it, probably from like right after Bible study until maybe two thirty or three o'clock. Mm -hmm. like, so it might be easy to talk then. That's all right. I'm saying. Oh, He's no, we're being we're being wait We're being recorded right now, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just wanted you to know that. Thank you. Yeah, it just says it's recording up at the top of my screen here. So anybody else on then? I don't know. We're early birds. Well, we're only early by two minutes. Lynn, I'm on too. This Somebody is right. Hey, how come I can't? Oh, there you are. There's the E. Hi. Hi, guys. You are Good there. Good morning. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, now I now I see everybody. Me too. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Maria. Hi, Maria. Well, she went to school. And if you want to see everybody, because I can fit everybody on the phone, so I do that, and then you see the rest of the group. Barb Thomas is on too. Barb, hi, Barb. I know she. Hi, Barbara. I don't think she's hooked up for uh, audio on her end, but right. she can hear everybody. How do you mute on this? Let's see. Go back to us. Maria, can you hear us? Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll mute when we need to. Let's see, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Oh. Then don't say any words. Gotta be, gotta be away. Right is it? There. See if there's that little microphone. That's clip just out. that's audio, baby. I don't think that can be a mute. No? I don't no think so. Let me see I'll mute sound here. Okay, good. Okay. Now you don't like having to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Can you mute the microphone right now? Party, you know, when they were working from home and then they run back to his office and kicked him out for six months. So he's been working in my basement. That's your time, yeah. So it's not bad. He, he keeps disappearing down there. I don't know what he's doing. So he's tired. Well, technically, all council that came, he works with people. They find something and he wants to do it. Like, send me. And he's not there. <laughs> 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 <laughs
Thank you, thank you. I got Good morning, everybody. Morning, Father. I got a kick out of Buddy being on your video. <laughs> it was Buddy in the background just going, hey, come on, come on. What are you waiting for? He, he talks. He's like, he you know, he's telling me something. He did the thing. Yeah, but he only marks when he wants something. He doesn't like He's like, what are you waiting for? This is not what we do. This is not work time. Come on. Just be watching. Well, Nina, welcome. We love to see new faces. All right. Hello to everybody out in internet land. Good morning. Okay? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Let's uh, let's get a recording. Oh, let me start. Oh, it's on the Just a few moments. Right. Keep rolling. And we'll begin with a prayer. Blessed is our God, always now and ever to the ages of ages. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us, mankind, in the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds to the understanding of the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of the blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as will pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, unto thee we send of glory. With an unregenerate Father, then all holy, good, life giving spirit, now and ever, the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. So we continue our journey through Matthew's Gospel. Good morning. Let's see both. And we are in chapter 8, verse 18. So remember, we had the Sermon on the Mount, then we had, um, what, three healings, the leper, centurion servant, Peter's mother-in-law. So that's our context, at least leading up. Let's take a look at verses 18 to 22. Who's our brave first volunteer? I'll do it. Thank you. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Okay. What, what did we say was the purpose of Matthew's gospel overall? What is, what is the main story he's trying to teach us? Answer to one question. Who is Grace? Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, grace is a big theme. Grace is going to be 
Um, it's it's the name Matthew. It's it's a theme throughout, but the the story is going to follow. Who is Jesus? And I think we're going to, anytime we read the Gospels, hopefully, we're always going to be surprised at some points. If we're never surprised, um, either we really got it, or we haven't been paying too much attention, or at least enough attention. And I think, if we're honest, none of us really have it yet. We're all in process. We're all learning. And some of the things that surprise us are often the things that would challenge us. And I think we've got a couple challenges here to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's look at verse 18. It, it seems to be straightforward, but it's kind of surprising to me anyway. When Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Anything surprising there? Did what? Why is that surprising? Yes. Could you all hear Linda? No. No. Good. She said uh, it's surprising that before he was speaking to great crowds and now he's leaving. And I would say the surprising thing is if our assumption is he has come to give his word and to tell as many people. Now here is our great crowds following him, and yet he's seeking to avoid them, at least for now. So one thing we're going to say that was, we asked that question, who is Jesus? He's not someone who's necessarily always trying to find the biggest audience. And that's should be surprising to us. It, it, I, I think people, especially if you want to reduce Jesus to a teacher, a teacher who, who has a big audience would run to that new audience. Here he is trying to avoid them. Go to the other side. And we got a few more surprises coming up. The scribe comes up to him and says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Or some of your translation might say teacher of the law. What do your translations say? <laughs> what is it? Scribe. Scribe. Teacher I'll scribe. Of teacher of the law. Okay. By the way, what were the, what was the scribe's main job? Yeah, he's a copier. So this is the pre-Xerox era. <laughs> so you take a text and you um, you take a piece of parchment and you copy the text. By the way, where do we see this iconographically in our church? You don't think of them as scribes, but the iconographic image is the image of a scribe. In the Pentecost? In the dome? Uh, yeah, in the dome, right? Discussing the, the, the evangelists, the gospel writers. Their setup is a a a typical scribe setup. You have a text in front of you, and then you have a desk, and you're copying the text, right? Only what's mm-hmm. unique about the evangelists? They're writing wrong. What's that? Writing their own. They're writing their own. Jenny says so. Yeah, it, you would think like, what are they writing from? But I think the the iconographic messages it seems like they're writing their own but they're really not jesus is the word of god and so they're they're telling the story of the word and their job is not to to enhance it or fabricate it or or make it up they're there to like a scribe would do kind of uh copy anyway uh back to the scribe here teacher i will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him, foxes have bulls and birds there have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's surprising about that? 
almost as if he's a nomad. Yeah. Yeah, he's telling him if we, we keep going, we keep traveling. You're not gonna have, you're not gonna be staying in the Hilton and. Um, if the story of Jesus is the one who seeks followers, here's one who says, I will follow you wherever you go. And you would expect Jesus who wants followers, if that's the story of Jesus, great, come on, <laughs> join in. I think so what, he's what do telling, we learn about Jesus? What's that, I Susie? Think, I think he's telling um, the listeners, including us, that this is not an easy easy trip right yeah count the cost <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's 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 not going to be an easy one to say foxes have holes and birds there have nests i mean these are animals and even the animals are going to be more comfortable than what you're what's going to happen to you if you follow me why because the son of man has nowhere to lay his head mm -hmm. And again, I, we're, this is always going to be instructing us and when we learned wrong lessons before, correcting us. And I think one of the great lessons all of us as Christians and all Christians need to keep remembering is this is not an easy path. I think sometimes those who do the best job spreading the word of Christianity, spread of Christianity, that is very easy. And that's, I think, a deceiving message. And it has great success numerically. But... Is it the Jesus that, that Matthew is teaching us? I don't know. That's the question. Mm. Interesting. He says, wherever you will go. Well, where's Jesus going? Ah, good point. Did you hear Scott? No. Didn't hit well there. I said, it's interesting. The scribe says, I'll follow you where, wherever you will go. Well, where is Jesus actually going in the Gospels? Yeah. And he's and he's going to the cross he's going to the cross right so it's like if if you don't you don't quite know you know like um uh the sons of zebedee you don't quite right. know what you're asking right you know um and so not only do i not have anywhere to live but <laughs> you know yeah not only are you not going to have a, a, a blessed life right here you it just reminds me of um root Mm, yeah where you go i will go and you don't know what's coming right going along. Yeah. all right if that wasn't discouraging enough <laughs> this next one's a really tough one yes another of the disciples said to him all right and those who's speaking this is not this other was a teacher of the law who is talking about now it's one of the disciples lord let me first go and bury my father I mean, what mm -hmm. more understandable reason would somebody be able to give to say, okay, I will, but I have this important thing to do. I mean, I can't think of anything else that someone could have that would be considered by most people a good excuse, right? Ah. It's not, we have you know, the gospel, the excuses, I've bought oxen, I've married a wife, those are, you know, seem to be good, but nothing better than this. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I don't understand that one at all, Father. No? What do you think? Take a, take a guess. I don't know. We were taught 
I think, because this is the whole concept of the words, if you take them literally, you know, appear to be so cool, cruel and cold. But I think mm -hmm. we were taught that it's those who are spiritually dead, those who are not, mm. you know, I don't know yeah. if it, I don't know if it really refers to somebody who fell asleep in the Lord. <laughs> right. Mm. Well, you're in good company. I was going to read this later. But I'll read it now. Um, this is St. John Christmas. Was it not then, one may ask, extreme ingratitude to be absent from the burial of one's own father? If indeed he did so out of negligence, it would have been ingratitude. But his departure would not have been considered fitting if it required interrupting a more urgent order of responsibility. So Jesus resisted him, not as if he were commanding him to think lightly of the honor due to parents, but signifying that nothing ought to be to us more urgent than the affairs of the kingdom of heaven. We ought with all diligence to cling to these and not to put them off in the slightest through our engagement, be, though our engagement be exceedingly indispensable and pressing. And this other one is Origen, who of course was not canonized by the church, but has a lot of good things to say. Uh, the statement, let the dead bury the dead, implies spiritually, waste no more time on dead things. You are to, quote, put to death, therefore it is earthly in you, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, excuse me, and covetous, which is idolatry, and that is uh, Colossians chapter 3. These things, therefore, are dead. Cast them away from you. Cut them off as you would cut off gangrenous flesh to prevent the contamination of the whole body, so that you may not hear it said, leave the dead to bury the dead. If you know Origen's story, you know that he's going to be very literal when he talks about things like that. But. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's that there's that sense, uh, Susie. But but if taken in, in in conjunction with Saint John Chrysostom's. By the way, today is a feast day of Saint John Chrysostom. Today is the translation of his relics. Wow. Uh, who read the story this morning? Tell us, Carolyn, nice and loud. <laughs> he was in Armenia. Okay, I'll give you a hint. The Empress. You hear Carolyn? The Empress Eudoxia no. basically the Empress Eudoxia basically um, um, um told him to leave and sent him exiled him and he um died. But um the interesting thing is that his grave shook for 30 years. And um when when um it came to move the relics her i guess her son, her son yeah. um had um indicated he wanted to um bring the relics back to constantinople and when he when he did they went to move the body or move the tomb and it was so heavy they couldn't lift it and um it was revealed to them that they needed to pray forgiveness to Eudoxia needed to ask forgiveness for exiling St. John Chrysostom. And um, when they read that prayer, they were able to lift the tomb very lightly and transport him back to uh, Constantinople. And so um, the other really odd thing was that um, they set his body on the bishop's chair 
or not as well, when they yeah. opened the uh, the tomb, his body was incorrupt. It was mm-hmm. it was as if he had just laid down. Yeah. And um, his, his, his mouth actually spoke the words, uh, peace be unto you yeah. and uh, forgiveness is granted, Eudoxia. And so um, <laughs> it was very interesting story. I had, I don't remember reading all of those details before. Yeah. Wow. And I learned something when I went to the Holy Land. Um, bishops were traditionally buried in their throne. So you'd put the bishop in his throne, you'd have the funeral service, because it wasn't seen, seen as proper to have him laying down. He's the bishop. So you put him in his proper place. And then he'd be buried in that position. I learned this. We were, I forget what church we were in, somewhere in the Holy Land. And they were doing, they had done archaeology and they found the church in the crypt. They had found, I forget how many, but there were bishops buried there. And that's how they were buried. So seated in their in their throne and buried upright. To the whole throne and everything. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so that's our St. John Chris that we remember today. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, going back to the, the phrase, let the dead bury the dead, it, it seems, Susan, I think you use the word sort of cruel. And yet I think if we're going to try to figure out who is Jesus and what's his message, obviously he's not cruel. Um, this is where I think the New Testament message of the followers of Christ doesn't have an, a minimum a minimum you know what people ask a lot of time what should i give to the church how much should i do we're used to having a minimum and then we say to ourselves okay i've done that check i'm good you know mm-hmm. the new testament is always going to put the standard at the ultimate it's always going to be perfection be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect now we Westerners hear that it's very depressing because we know we're not perfect. So if you're trying to meet your own standard and the standard gets set for you and you accept it, it's perfection and you don't meet it. What's the response to that? Feel like a failure. Say it again. Feel like a failure. Feel like a failure. Right. Could get depressed. Uh, we could, it could sap our motivation. We can't do enough. It's, it's deflating. All these things we say that are unmotivating. If the standard is perfection, but you know the one who sets the standard is doing so for you, does that change the calculus of your response? If you're absolutely sure that this standard is there for your benefit and you can't meet it or you haven't met it, let you just say. What's your response? Well, what it should be perhaps is to keep going, to keep trying. But you know, Father, we're also led to believe really that we're not worthy that we're never worthy of, of uh, his body and blood. You know, We try to prepare, but we go up there and we know we fall short, but it doesn't stop us always. 
<laughs> right. From going up there. I mean, I know last night at family night in, in your uh, 201 class, yeah. you, you were speaking about uh, excommunicating ourselves if we don't right. feel, you know, that we are worthy of taking that communion. You said, if you feel that, then get in and see me, make your confession. Right. And right. so it's difficult though, Father, we could be in your office. Not really, I'd like to do it, you know, in the church, but on our yeah. knees constantly, constantly. Yeah. And with what perspective, what attitude, what response, if we're convinced that Christ is the lover of mankind and of each of us, and we didn't meet the standard. You said keep going, but I want you to giggle deeper and why, why keep going? So Nina says it's humbling. And this is again, where we have to sort of redefine true Orthodox Christian humility. Is humility putting ourselves down in a sort of despondent, negative, depressing way? Not in that way. Not in that way. So in what way? Um, but like it says, like, so we don't become too proud. Mm -hmm. um, Keep going. We don't get discouraged. Why not? That's the passions. So Nina's saying we have to keep walking. Yeah. What motivates us to keep walking? The scripture also teaches we're supposed to um, consider it joy um, when uh, these difficulties come because. It's yeah. the patience that will um, come as a result of hanging in there and as a result of continuing to accept it. Um, that brings the completion in Christ that he's wanting all of us to get to. But it's hard to, to look at that joy or to consider joy in the middle of the trial because mm -hmm. usually the trial is right you know, right here in front mm -hmm. of you, you're not thinking, oh, this is really wonderful because I'm going to become perfected mm -hmm. as a result <laughs> of it. But um, I think if you had a, had the opportunity to just think of that in the middle of it, think of, think of the fact that he loves us and he is doing this for our benefit and to mature us and to complete us. It, it, yeah. But the trick is how do you how do you get there when you're in the middle of it? Because yeah. I think this is the path of salvation. And um, um, my mom didn't have an easy life. And then um, hard things happened to her. Um, and she was challenged with something really difficult. Um, she said the way she would cope with that is um, that she became to full acceptance that this is the thing that's the thing that's the way the things God wants to happen and she just needs to deal with it yeah. to the best of her ability and at that time we we're already were um active Christians and I think that helped her to get to that point and, yeah so and I'm hearing two things that I want to make sure you all heard because I don't know how much you heard Carolyn and Nina the two things I heard that we have to do is one, accept the reality, whether it's a trial or it's a failure, whatever, whatever we're in the middle of, accept that reality. 
And then Carolyn, I think you're the one that said, in the context of the love of God. And you said, yes, a question. We didn't answer the question. How do you how do you keep that in mind? But that's the way you do it, right? So if if you're accurate about who we are, and by the way, that's the real definition of humility. It's not putting yourself down. It's seeing yourself accurately. It's an accurate assessment of where you are. And if the New Testament standard is perfection, then the accurate assessment is we're nowhere close. Mm -hmm. And that in a human sense is a very depressing thought. I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm a failure, I'm not there, okay? But then it's that other element that we've got to make sure it's there, which is the love of God. And you know, Scott said earlier, where, where is he saying to follow him? The story will lead us to the cross. The cross is the strongest way God could ever demonstrate his love for us. Freely going there, enduring all the suffering he endured, when really, in terms of our salvation, the suffering wasn't needed, right? Orthodox understand salvation is Jesus, the Son of God, takes on humanity and takes our humanity down into death and brings it back to life because of his divinity. And that's all that's needed for us. Theologically, in terms of us, our salvation, he took humanity, he made the way for us, and he says, follow me. Mm -hmm. However, all of the suffering, I think part of that, not only does it fulfill a lot of prophecies, but if that can't convince us of the love of God, nothing is going to, which is why Holy Week is such a powerful experience, because we get put right in front of us that unmistakable love of God. Now, Carolyn asked the question, how do we keep it there? <laughs> Thoughts? How do we keep the love of God as close to us as our understanding of where we are in terms of not living up to the standard? Almost like a parent. A child to a parent, we, uh, a parent can discipline the child, a parent guides the child, a parent can tell the child, I'm disappointed in what you did here or there, but never does the child question the love of the parent. And that's an imperfect parent, <laughs> right? In, in God, we have the perfect parent. So yeah, I think that's a big remembering and why, why doesn't the child doubt? Because the child has been loved by the parent consistently, mm -hmm. right? The child falls down and at two years old, goes screaming for mommy and daddy. Last night, uh, one of the children of our uh, parishioner, who's I think in her late twenties, early thirties, uh, cut her head and immediately called mom. Wow. Because we have that experience. You go to the ones that you know love you, right? So yeah, I think I think that's right. I think it's remembering how in the past we've been loved by God. I think, by the way, it's one of the reasons why the cross is so ubiquitous in the life of a Christian. We wear one. We we draw it on our body when we make the sign of the cross. We put it all over our churches. We uh, we bow down before it at the adoration of the cross, the elevation of the cross. But I think that's where, again, we have to understand what's the symbol mean. The symbol connects us to not just Jesus, but Jesus 
the lover of mankind who died on that cross. So I think the cross is one of those things that keeps that literally right in front of us. I mean, we draw it on our body. Other things we can do. I think, Father, that's important to keep in mind because I think the problem is that one of the reasons why we often struggle is because we have this kind of definition in our head of what it means when things are going well in our Christian life. And when things are going well in our Christian life, it means our children are behaving, our finances are good, you know, everything's going kind of swimmingly because we have this kind of worldly definition of what it means for things to be going well. But again, like as we're saying in the gospel, a real human life, where does a real human life end up in this world? On the cross. Where does St. John Chrysostom <laughs> end up in exile? So that when, this, when realizing that if I'm actually living a real Christian life, if I'm being Christian in my life, my life is going to look like the cross. It is not going to look like, um, again, the kind of definitions we have of like being blessed. Yeah. You know, that's, 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 and, and that's going to be emotionally and that's going to be spiritually and everything as well. I mean, if we read the lives of the saints, it's, it's not that they were just kind of physically poor mm -hmm. <laughs> oftentimes. And then spiritually, everything was rosy. You know, <laughs> you know, if you, right. you know, the Desert Fathers are, I mean, are like, we're in battle like every day. Yeah. This is tough, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so it's tough. And realizing how short we fall on our own is tough. You said that yeah. from the beginning, when we look at ourselves. Yeah. And I think this is probably the prime Christian effort. How do we not live our Christianity thinking we're disciples of Jesus when really we're disciples of ourselves. If you fall short and you are only sad and depressed by that, as I said to many of you in confession, who's missing from the equation? God. Who isn't saying to you, oh, you bad person. He's saying, get up and try it again. Keep going. I love you. I know. That's what the real God says, but the problem is we keep putting in our own self. We call it Jesus. We, we say it's in his voice, but it's us. We're talking to ourselves. So I think part of why studying the, the God, the scripture in general, but the gospels in particular, is are we really going to accept the God, the Jesus of the gospels, not the Jesus of our imagination or of our creation? And by the way, when I say the Jesus of our creation, I don't mean we do it for self-serving reasons. I think we do it for self-destructive reasons. <laughs> mm. We feel guilty, and now we're going to find a way to justify the guilt. So we build a Jesus that makes sense for my guilt versus the one who says, yeah, I know what you did wrong, but here's what I want for you. So go ahead and try it again. And I think, Father, that's the key to our faith, Rick because we are fortunate enough to have to have the sacrament can you hear me yeah go ahead i think i think okay i think that you know if we make a sincere confession i think we feel that love of god and i think that's really what kind of renews us and keeps us going i think that you can't to to realize the forgiveness of god for what you've done is kind of overwhelming. Yes. 
and 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 when you just take a moment and it's is it is a moment when you think of that it's that's just too much to um ask for in a way because you know how you know what you've done and you know that wow i'm forgiven of this and if you really kind of really realize it ponder it think about it i think that's transformational yeah why is it so hard for us to do that on our own people typically ask me if they don't think confession is a good thing protestant whatever they might say well why do you have to go to a priest so they ask it in a a negative way let me flip the question around yeah why is it so hard to accept god's forgiveness without going to confession without I, involving somebody else why is it so hard what do you think i, I think it's just because people will do not want to change that much mm. they don't really want it they they want to have a comfort zone rather than really coming to christ I don't know if I'm right or wrong about that, but I, I, no, I think, I it's, just, I think yeah. it's a big part of it. I don't think it's the only thing, but I think it's a big one. I think it's about also bringing things into out into the light, because if it's just on your own, you can still have Hide that. <laughs> I don't know. See, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and when you bring it out and you say it in front of someone else, it doesn't have that power over you anymore. Yeah, that, that's really true. And why do we hide it in the first place? shame yeah shame and and not wanting to share your shame or your secrets and you know i've heard this discussion many times father from protestants you know who feel their their direct line to god when they confess and so on yeah. and and i've heard what the orthodox response is to that is that in the process of confessing, and of course you'll you'll educate us even more, that the burden is shared now by someone else. The burden of that sin is shared by someone else, and it helps to lift it off your shoulders now. And right. someone someone is is helping to take it off your shoulders and give it to God. Yep. And um, honestly, when we make good confessions, and I think we can all say we've made good confessions and we've made some you know mediocre ones father and yeah. the difference in how you feel when you yeah. have made a, what i want to just say is a more pure confession yeah it's, it, and i don't mean you have to be brought to tears but you're often brought to tears yeah and i'll agree with the protestants to say i don't need a priest to tell me i'm forgiven Right. You know that God forgives me. The scripture doesn't teach your sins are forgiven when the priest pronounces it. It's right. repentance right. that brings forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So why is it so hard for us to do it on our own? And again, uh, this I'm agreeing with the Protestants to say, I don't have to. Theologically, I don't have to have the priest tell me, but why can't I do it very well on my own? Father. Didn't you yeah. at one point tell me that you that we need we need our priest to speak on our behalfs? At our so the priest, yeah, the priest does that. The priest stands as a witness. I mean, on the one hand, you might say he's a witness at our judgment, but that's not the real witness we need. It's not like God doesn't know that we confessed, right? Mm -hmm. 
True. But you're getting closer to what I think the, the real reason is. We are the ones that need a witness. There's something that changes in us when we bear that shame in front of someone else who also now pronounces our forgiveness, i.e. our love from God. I think that's why it's so hard for us to do it on our own, because as much as we would say you don't have to confess to a priest, there's just something in us that makes it really hard to receive that love and forgiveness when we're the one that has to convince ourselves of it. And I think that it's is, so hard to convince ourselves because we've got a sense of ourself that's built in not godly shame, but I would say in, a, in an isolated shame, in a self-developed, in a self-produced shame where we're trying to live up to our standard and we don't have the love of God to beat back that standard and say, even if you don't meet it, it's okay. Does that make sense? It's, it's not being able to convince ourselves of the love of God. We usually need help with that. What are you going to say, Susie? Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, just give a different example. Um, when um, we were at parent-teacher conference, our, our second child, Aubrey, they were implementing um, the student PTA. So the student, Aubrey, was with her fourth grade teacher and um, the fourth grade teacher gave an assessment of Aubrey and um, Aubrey had to give her own assessment. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, fourth grade teacher, in all honesty, Aubrey was a wonderful student. <laughs> but So right. she, you know, she described Aubrey and so on. Aubrey described herself in much different terms, was much harder, her mm -hmm. assessment on herself. Mm -hmm. and. Yeah. I've often thought about that, the honesty of the child too, but I've thought about that with um, confession. We can be forgiven, but I think the most difficult part, Father, is to forgive ourselves. That's right. And I, and I think maybe that is why, you know, sharing that burden to help lift it, it helps people, you know, hand off that sin instead of continue to dwell on it which we're not supposed to do. Right. You know, I set this whole conversation up by saying there's two things we're going to need. One is to realize where we are, to be accurate about who we are, to be humble. But then I said to be sure of the love of God. Mm. That's the harder part. <laughs> it's hard right. enough to know your own sins. It's even harder to be really sure of the love of God. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, what Matthew is going to keep trying to bring out in the starkest terminology so that we can understand who this Jesus is because he's either going to change us well either we're going to let him change us mm -hmm. or we're going to reject him as many are going to do as you'll see you're going to see in the gospels we've already seen it there are those who accept those who reject and the ones who seem to accept but don't Right. You'll see this as the, the tragic, you know, person of Judas, one of the 12. Right. Uh, many people are going to come to Jesus like this, like this uh, disciple. Let me first go bury my father or, or the scribe. I will, I'll follow you wherever you go. It, there's going, Jesus is going to push back and say, you seeming like you're a follower of me is not going to work. It, it looks really attractive. And I would say that all of us wrestle with this. All of us 
rest you'll be being followers of jesus when it's really the follower of the jesus that we make him out to be hmm. and it's when we follow the jesus as he's described in this in the gospels as the church canonized and said that's the jesus not the jesus of our imagination that is what will change us we've already talked about in matthew jesus is not going to reduce the requirements of the law right right he said you've heard it said this but i tell you this and that i tell you was always more yeah like if before it was do it in the outwards now you got to do it from the heart so it's not about the new testament being you know the great discount sale that a lot of people imagine it to be oh it's easy now because jesus paid the price and it's just so much easier now this is a great deal it's the opposite it's jesus has raised the requirement but he's also now expressed in ways that the old testament never could fully but did sort of in little images here and there that god does indeed love us we exist because he loves us that's why we're here to be loved by him so this is where matthew is going to continually try to work on us to reshape how we view ourselves and how we view him and you can see where jesus is now raising the stake on that first part that understanding where you are what does it take to be a follower of jesus it's the extreme follow me and let the dead bury their own dead now if we're not there yet but we see who jesus is as the gospel unfolds, that's not going to be discouraging. It's going to be encouraging to say, okay, I've got some room to grow. Why? Because I can see there's more love of God that I've got to incorporate in my life, not less. And that's that's what we Christians do. We incorporate, well, we do both. We try to get more accurate on where we are compared to his standard, and then more accurate in terms of how he sees us based on his love. Which we should know from reading the previous right. <laughs> you know, parts as well. Exactly. Because I think that's I think that's a big paradigm shift. And this is one of the things that Jesus shows up and kind of shocks everybody is the expectation and, and including our expectation. I think this what leads to a lot of our own spiritual anxiety is that Jesus shows up in our lives and will show up, you know, in a in a definitive way with the agenda of. Um, who am I going to let in and who am I going to kick out? Mm -hmm. And so that's what they're kind of expecting, you know. Right. Okay. The problem amongst God's people is that we've got all these sinners. Mm -hmm. We've got all these unclean people. <laughs> we've got all these kind of enemies outside <laughs> who are trying to get the church. Although, I mean, we can speak yeah. of the church in right. this context. Sure. We got all these enemies outside the church who are trying to get the church. And so when God shows up, what he's going to do is he's going to he's going to kick out of the church all the people who are unclean you know he's going to kick out all the sinners and he's going to defeat all of our enemies but when he comes down from the mountains that's not what he does he doesn't kick out the unclean people he heals them and brings them in to the church mm -hmm. he doesn't say to the enemies of the church <laughs> you know I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> you know, he says he heals their servants. Yeah. You know, and says, "Hey, I've never seen greater faith than in the church, than in Israel." You know, kind of thing. So, and that's what we expect in our own lives. Like, mm -hmm. that's what gives us anxiety. Is like, 
have I done this thing that the Lord's going to kick me out? Rather than the love of God is such that he's looking to heal me, not kick me out. Now that has obviously demands because <laughs> the doctor says, follow my orders. Yeah. But that it's just, it's just a different, it's a different way of, of, it's a whole different approach. He's not kind of looking for an excuse for you to not measure up. He's, he's shown up to save you, yes. to heal you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and it, that, and that's the kind of, the whole process behind confessing and, and realizing um, that that God's love is what's motivating this whole project. Yeah. People that look at the Orthodox Church from a non-Orthodox Christian perspective say things like, it's much darker, it's very dour, it's very dreary, all this Lord have mercy, all this crosstalk, all of this um negativity and repentance it's all very negative and from a non-orthodox christian perspective that doesn't fully understand the love of god that's an accurate assessment for us as westerners who are trying to become eastern orthodox christians our challenge is no it's the same it's the same challenge it can be all of those things until we incorporate enough understanding of the love of god which is a process not an event it's an ongoing effort to do that and when we do that it isn't discouraging it's encouraging but that's always going to be our you mentioned spiritual anxiety we're always going to be spiritually anxious when we're not seeing god's love or at least not pursuing to see it more we're never going to see all of it in this life but imagine imagine the kingdom where we're going to see it in its splendor and be able to take it all in all the time. But we're not there yet. And so we got to keep working at incorporating that perspective. And Matthew, being the, the gospel of grace, is going to continue to try to do that, but we're we're not easy. <laughs> we don't change easily. Let me share a couple other quotes with you. Um, this is on the scribe promising to follow Jesus. He does not openly convict those who are up to mischief. He replies their secret thoughts, leaving it to themselves only to know they are convicted. These were not the words of one who was turning his back on the scribe, but rather one who was making clear to the scribe his own proud disposition, even while yet permitting him, if he were willing to proceed, to follow him. After the scribe had heard Jesus' convicting response, he had been proven to be wholly unready for it. For he did not then proceed to say, I am ready to follow you. Similarly, there are many other places where Christ made this sort of subtle response. So you see, he's not saying outwardly, oh, you're not ready. You have no idea what, what you're not ready. He's not saying to him, um, he's not embarrassing him by saying, well, you're saying this, but you're thinking this. He's going to challenge each one secretly by saying, this is what it takes. Now you've got some you've got some choices to make. Notice the scribe is the first person uh, that doesn't refer to him as Lord. In this yeah. narrative. Interesting. I noticed that. He's the, he's the first person. So the leper says Lord. The Roman centurion says Lord. The scribe says teacher. Uh, and then 
and then his <laughs> disciple says, Lord. Yeah. So uh, I, don't know the, I don't know if that's a subtle wordplay on St. Matthew. No, yeah. it's probably significant. And also the fact that a scribe is calling him teacher. The word there is rabbi, yeah. right? Yep. And the Jews, they, they looked at their rabbis as that, as teachers. In other words, yeah. you're here to teach me and I'm here to learn from you. Yeah. And yet, what, um, who was that? St. John Chrysostom. He knows that in his heart, he's not seeing him as a teacher. He's not right, but he's not saying that. He's just saying, okay, you want to follow me? Here's the situation. Now you're going to have to really consider this. Or even if you are seeing me as a teacher, like this ain't, this is not going to be your typical seminary journey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. That's not what you're signing up for. Yeah. And one thing I want to mention here, um, you'll notice that these two short encounters, different people, different things they're presenting to Jesus, um, different situations. But what Matthew's going to do for us, what all the gospel writers do is sometimes different situations are placed side by side. I'm not saying it didn't happen this way. I'm just saying all we knew, all we know is that Matthew wrote it this way. Whether it happened this way, we can assume, but however he wrote it, he's putting together these two situations and it's up to us as the reader to go, okay, this is how the writer put it. In other words, these are somehow connected. You don't tell a story by introducing disjointed things unless there's a reason to do that, which is, okay, you want to do it because you want to join something else. In other words, there's intention even in the connection between things. And I think we've seen, obviously, what the connections are. Both, both situations, you have um, seemingly willing followers in both cases and yet jesus reply is the same he's not saying no you're not ready he's saying no you're not saying no you can't he's not saying no you're not worthy he's saying this is what it really takes to be a follower of me well father think of the it's interesting think of like the physical space We've talked about this a little bit like imagine you know actors on the stage mm -hmm. so you have jesus yeah and then it said you know the language is then a certain scribe came to him mm -hmm. and said i'll follow you and jesus says well this is what it means to follow me but then you have jesus and you have this disciple who's with him you know then one of his disciples who's already with him says let me go <laughs> let me leave mm -hmm. And take care of my father's burial and you know all the accoutrement that comes yeah. with burying, you right. know, your father. And Jesus says, follow me yeah. or or stay, don't yeah. leave. Right. The the kind of the physical movement of the players here. Yeah. <laughs> One's coming and going, this is what it means if you come. Yeah. One is going, let me leave. And Jesus saying, This is what that would mean. Yeah. Um how do Jews handle funerals? What's the timing look like? I think it's very quickly, like uh, within a day or something. The same day if possible, right? At least I know this is the, the Muslim tradition, same day mm -hmm. if possible. I don't know if they can, can they always go to the next day if it's a certain, if it's a night? I don't know how that works. It depends on which, you know, what, what okay. Judaism you're kind of talking right. about. But either way, it's quick. Yeah. I, I want to get in your minds. Don't think about 
okay, we're going to call the funeral home and then the next day we'll go visit and we'll set on a schedule. And it's like this four to six, seven day thing. So when Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, he's not saying, listen, I can't wait seven more days. Hmm. Okay. And why I'm bringing that up is, uh, and you'll hear a sense of this in my, in my address on Sunday. Jesus is not going to let anyone go with a modified definition of what it means to be a follower. And if we get to the point where we say, well, yeah, okay, I can do it if this is the category, if this is the level, he's going to say, you're not going to get to set the level. And it's very dramatic here in the sense that Jesus isn't staying still, right? He's going to the other side. He's on his way. In other words, he's not waiting. He's moving. He's on the move. Right. Uh, poor Joshua came up today as I'm putting my jacket on. He says, are you leaving now? Because he wanted to ride to work. And I said, yeah, right now. <laughs> the fact that he was still in his bathrobe, Joshua found another way to work today. So it's, it's the, the but again, the, the impression might be wrong. Like, wow, that's so rude. Right? What was the word you used, uh, Susie, early on? I forget. Cruel. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the obvious. If someone were to say, well, you describe Jesus, he's cruel. But you don't get to do that because there's a big story around it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the non-smart answer. It's, it's a smart answer in the, let me, you know, put my blinders on and look right here. But you look at the whole picture and you don't get to say that because it's just, it doesn't hold up. Right. In some ways, it reminds me of the story of Abraham and Isaac where God the Father asks for the ultimate sacrifice. And, um, you know, it, and God provided the ram, you know, I, I think yeah. it's interesting. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. You know, it's almost like if God wants this man buried, he will provide. Right. Alan, would you share your feelings about that icon in the back of the altar? <laughs> You don't have to if you don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot. I already did, but. Um, I just, but the first time I saw it, I just thought it was very grotesque. Um, almost like not appropriate for a church. Um, very depressing. Uh, you're talking about the one in the altar. Yeah, the one with, with Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just was, uh, Kathy, you'll have to see that icon. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. if you open that side door, you can you can see it from without going inside the altar. But um I I don't know. I just the first time no, it, it was it was tough on me to to see that. It's a, it's a disturbing story in the scripture, and I think it's probably more disturbing to see it. Um, and for those of you who haven't seen it, if you want to see it, let me know, and I'll, I'll open the door so you can see it. But it's it's Abraham, I forget, is his hand raised with the knife? So Abraham is his hand raised. He's that close to sacrificing his son. And Isaac's son, neck, head, looks almost like the head is twisted. It's like he's got the head pulled back. <laughs> To, to cut his head off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it is, 
in many ways grotesque. Um, so Alan, I, thank you for sharing because I don't think your, your reaction is unique. Um, but as Father Hoppe would remind us all when we talk about that story, God stays Abraham's hand and uh -huh. does not permit him to go through with what he already commanded because it was a test. It was a test of uh -huh. Abraham's faith. But when Jesus was going to Calvary, no one stays the hand. Nobody stops it. God sends his son in his love for us. Jesus goes in his love for us. Not as if he's going to go through it to see it as a test. He goes through with it. And I think that's why it's, it's such a powerful, both stories are obviously powerful, but the power of the first adds the power of the second. The power of Abraham and Isaac to me adds to the power of, of the father with Jesus is that, and again, what is, what is the only message? It's love. If for Abraham, it's, are you faithful to this God that is a loving God that he doesn't even know what's been revealed to him that will be, will, will, will be revealed later on? But will he follow God to that degree, willing to sacrifice the son? And that same God we're going to see now in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospels, is the God that would sacrifice even his own son out of his love for us. That's, mm -hmm. that's that defining second part that Matthew is going to try really hard to pound into us as foundational for our faith. What's interesting too, Father, that kind of prior to Abraham and Isaac, there's Abraham, Abram making the covenant with God. And it's one of these scenes that we don't quite know what to do with oftentimes where Abraham like splits all the animals that he sacrificed in mm -hmm. two and you know he has to get the vultures away and everything like that. And then when night falls, you know, Abram has fallen asleep. And then he sees the torch coming in between the cut up because the cut up animal sacrifices. Because in a covenant in the ancient world, you know, the the superior party would go, here are the terms of this covenant. <laughs> I'm the great king, you're the lesser king. Mm. If you break the bonds of this covenant, you are liable to these punishments. You're liable to this death or, or kind of what have you. And so in the covenant with Abraham, I mean, God is clearly the superior, right. <laughs> you know, party. So it should have been the case that Abraham walked through. Mm. Because it's like, if you break the, the stipulations of this covenant, you're going to die. Mm. That should have been what happened. But what happens is that God, God's presence represented by this, by this, this, this flame, this torch passes through. So, I mean, what is right there in Genesis is telling that when this covenant gets broken, who is going to be the one yeah. to suffer the death associated with that covenant right yeah. now? God, God himself right. is right. going to do it. Yeah. And it's thing, thank you for sharing that because it's things like that that our impressions of Old Testament, Old Testament versus New, they're just wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our impressions are all the violence, all the warfare, all the ugliness, God is mean, God, you know, God is vindictive. That's not the accurate reading of it. You're, you're, you're reminding us that the message that, that Matthew is bringing out here is not new. Mm -hmm. The new covenant is new because Christ comes and does what Christ does. But it's not new in the sense of the real message of God's love. Mm -hmm. David is going to write Psalm 50 or Psalm 51 mm -hmm. 
in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is where it's been heading the whole time. Right. Have you not exactly. read the scriptures? All right. Well, thank you all. Just want to confirm next week, I believe, is on schedule as normal. I believe. Yep. So, God willing, we'll be back together next Thursday at 10. Thank you, Father. Thank you all. Thank you, Father. See your faces. Thank Those you, that Father. Show your faces. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Maria. Bye. Maria. Yes. <laughs>